Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Wanting to bring more abundance into your life in 2023? I'm super excited to be hosting another one of my signature six weeks courses, Six Weeks to Abundance with The Joyful Frugalista. The next course starts on Tuesday the 24th of January and runs for six weeks from seven o'clock every Tuesday night. Now as a special for all of those people listening to my podcast, I have $50 off each of the courses. Normally they're $250, but for you dear listeners, it's only $200. Please use the code podcast listeners, and welcome. Today I have a special guest and of course all of my guests are special. But today I'm talking with someone who I've already been laughing with and I had no idea I was going to have so much fun talking with her, but I should have based on the title of her books. And we are really going to be talking about money education and communication. But first, I have a favor to ask of you. If you enjoy this podcast and find it useful for you, please pay it forward and share it with a friend. And even better, please follow the Joyful Frugalista podcast and join the Joyful Frugalista Facebook group. Vanessa Stoikov is on a mission to help Australians get real about money. She's owned her financial services education-focused media business, Evolution Media Group, for 22 years. She's also founder of NMP Education, an award-winning television producer and author of two books, The Breakfast Club for 40-somethings, and her latest book, which has just been released, Five Conversations About Money. And we're going to talk all today about values, about money, about education, about money, about inheritances, relationships, money, and I don't know, Vanessa, what else would you like to talk about? Name it, it's coming up. We were talking about Disneyland before. You never know where we're going to go today. (laughs) Well, welcome, Vanessa. And let's start talking Disney. We do want to talk about your career as well, but let's talk Disney. This came up because I've just come back from FinCon, which was at Orlando, Florida, and we were just up the road from Disney World. And a bit controversially, my husband and I opted not to go to Disney. And this is actually the 50th anniversary of the founding of Disney World in Orlando and the 100th anniversary of the founding of Disney. So it's kind of a big Disney year. Do you dig Disney? I'm shaking my head as you're telling me all this. (laughs) I would die. I've never been to Orlando Disney, but I cannot believe this is when you told me we're not really Disneyland people. And I was like, what? (laughs) I'm a Disneyland person. Well, so you, you, know, you clearly, you clearly are. So you like all this in terms of your values and what you spend money on. Would be this be something you would spend money on? We'll tell you uh, a little bit about what you know. When I was a kid watching TV as a youngin, and I'm 49 now, so clearly in Generation X, 50 next year. I just I turned 50 just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> you and I are, are twins then, same age. But every Sunday night, I'd get a boiled egg and toast and watch Walt Disney. And it was the most magical time of the week. And, you know, I did grow up to do journalism and write books and and love stories. So perhaps for me, it meant so much more. But Walt Disney was someone who believed in a mouse. And out of that, he grew the happiest place on earth. And it really gave me permission to think that anything is possible. And my my parents had bought Encyclopedia Britannica um, and put it someone door-to-door salesman. I grew up in Gunnedah. 
came to the house and so they'd saved up dad worked in the mines to buy and i think they were 800 dollars back then for encyclopedias yeah they so, were expensive weren't they we yeah, never had one so came with all these beautiful fairy tales like the grim family and all these big books that were individual fairy tales and stuff so i used to lie in front of the fire in gunnadar in my home and read all these fantastical books and watch Walt disney and yeah, I, I I am one of those people who believe that there is a happiest place on earth and that there is magic in the world and that you can channel that kind of joy into your life and create it. So, yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> well, when you wish upon a star, and this is no judgment, like I said, it just wasn't didn't sort of fit our values or what we went there for. Well, I mean, you're running a podcast called The Joyful Frugalista, <laughs> so I'm guessing you, you may be more frugal than me, but good on you for it because you've been doing this a long time, a lot longer than most, and you've really cut through. Well, I, I go skiing and that's not frugal, but we do that because it's a family holiday time and we do other things that aren't frugal, but it's just a matter of your values and what you really value. And I'm really glad we had this conversation because we've just put out a podcast where we did talk about the fact we didn't go to Disney and I know some people do have some strong views on that. But like I said, it, I don't judge people about what they spend their money on but you're a money educator and I'm sure you've got views on this but it's about being clear about what your values are like what the things are that you do value that you want to spend your money on and then budgeting for that and then making that happen you know what but you hit the nail on the head then by saying being really clear about what your values are and you know I don't think they teach us that at school like you don't go to school and they go now now that you're through the HSC because I've got my second son going through the HSC the first one did it last year you know what are your values as a person and it took me a long time I mean obviously family is my first value I grew up my dad Serbian immigrant like you know Europeans are very into family my mother very loving and close family so family is important to me freedom is important to me i work for myself since I was 26 I just hate being told what to do and um, creativity and mad you know storytelling creative creation am I you know so I have to have a business where I am able to create a limited podcast series or that's a scripted narrative with an award-winning producer like things that I go I'd love to create that and see if it'll work and people will respond to it I've been able to do and that's that's a privilege and that's also because my first job as a journalist was at Investor Weekly magazine and I quickly took like a duck to water to financial services because it paid so much and it was so fancy and beautiful. The offices, the people were smart, <laughs> people were polite. Like, you know, I, I actually just fell in love with the whole thing at 21 and my first journalism job and so have spent a life really trying to show people how beautiful these people are but they're just shit communicators. I mean, not all of them. That's, that's unrealistic, but a lot of them, a lot of the high-end institutional investment managers, financial advisors at that level, like I've met people who are lots of quite a few billionaires, but people who just the, the way they think is just incredible. The brain that they have, like that they were gifted with, is just such a unique thing that I, I love that. I, I find I love being around it. It's not me. My skill is talking, you may have guessed, or storytelling. I'm not smart like that. So I never went into finance going, I'm going to invest all my money and get rich. I created a communications business when I was 26 with 14 grand and spent 10 of it on the launch party. But I had like smoke machines, lasers, like my brother was throwing down purple cocktails. <laughs> it sounds and fantastic. I everyone from finance to it because I'd been a journalist at 21 
And then uh, Greg had to retrench me, my first boss, Greg Bryant, because he couldn't afford the 26 grand I was on. And so then I went and worked for a fund manager, uh, a guy called Liam Nichols, and I'll never forget, took me to level 41 at the age of 22. And I ordered steak tartare done medium. And every and the lady, the waiter was just like, "Do you know what steak tartare is?" <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. If I and then when they told me it was raw meat, I was like, "What?" Like <laughs> I come from beef country in Canada. Who the hell's eating raw meat? People on the forty second floor, obviously. <laughs> well, level forty one, baby, and it used to be where Alan Jones, Alan Bonds, Alan Bonds' office was, and there was a glass bathroom, and the men could go and piss on the city, like on the wall. So it was like a real show-off place. Obviously, I went into the ladies, which was equally spectacular, but with not that feature. And <laughs> I was like, wow. And he said, whatever you're on, I'll double it. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm on 30 grand. I was on 26. And he goes, done. And I was like, <gasps> so then I was on 60 grand to be a business development person for Zurich Insurance in the investment side. And I couldn't believe it. I doubled my money like that. And then- wow. I got another offer when I was 25 from a lady called Uma Sinanacone rang me from Equity Link and said, you've been recommended to me. We want to talk to you about a game doing business development within institutional financial services. So fairly specific, right? But I knew the people, I understood the industry and I like people. So I was genuinely quite good to be around, I think, because I was genuinely trying to understand how it all worked. It was interesting. I said, oh, I don't know about that. And I went back to my first boss that paid me 26 grand and said, oh, what do you think of this? And he goes, ask for 150. And I was like, what? And he said, no, no, just ask for that. And so I did. And then they came back and said, no, we can't do that, but we can do 120 and maybe look at options. And I was like, oh, okay. And then that was my second lesson in negotiating of, you know, if I'd have asked for 150 for the job where I got 60, they would have laughed me out of the room. But I got to a level where I could quickly double my salary quickly, but I had to look like I would, that was my expectation, you know, whereas really 80 would have been bloody great when you're on 60. And then I earned that kind of money for three years there. And that was an incredible business. It was run by Brian Sherman and Lawrence Friedman. And Brian passed away recently, but the most incredible family, like the Sherman family, well, his son, Emil, has Seesaw Films, which did The King's Speech and Lion, amazing storytellers. Just just some small movies there. <laughs> I know. And on Dean, his Brian's daughter, created that animal charity called Voiceless. And, I mean, that's that's had such an impact for animal cruelty. And Brian was very passionate about that. And I was lucky enough to work for him. Lawrence Friedman was his partner, and that's Mia Friedman's dad. This firm was owned by two very charismatic South African guys who I was being paid a lot of money to go and sell their investment funds. But there was all original art because Jean Sherman owns Sherman Galleries and she's one of the foremost art experts in Sydney. I'm walking around this office where you'd think it was a rock, but it'd be like some priceless art. And I'd be like, oh. But it, it was the coolest office back in the day. And I loved that job. And, and I did a lot of cool things because I helped start the Fund Executive Association, which was all the heads of super funds back then were called fund secretaries. It was the start of superannuation, really. And so I got them all yeah, together. Yeah, those days there was a lot of excitement about superannuation, but a lot of scepticism back then in the early days. Well, too. it was a big administrative process, right? You were actually just getting corporate people. Su- I remember News Limited Super, Telstra Super, who I sat next to yesterday and is still an incredible fund. But they were all in their infancy, like the big corporates, which kind of rationalised. But those big giant 
big super now they call it, but the the Awares, the Australia Super, the Hester, the Host Plus, they were all in their infancy when I started back then. So I got a big group of people together who were the CEOs of those fund executives, those super funds, and we started the Fund Executive Association. And it was Greg Bright's idea. He's like, I reckon they need a cl- they need something to get together because they're going to get bigger and bigger and need to be sharing experiences with each other. It was born and it's still the premier body for education in Australia for fund executives in superannuation. And a lot of the people that are running funds now have been like, that have just retired, have been mentors of mine, like Neil Cochran, who was the chairman of Aware Super, and Michael Dwyer, like just incredible people who've been very generous to me in my career. But my real passion is under these people are real servant leaders and they want to serve the public. So when people are skeptical about super, I'm like, you need to understand the people behind these superannuation funds are servant leaders. They do care about the member. It's different than banks and places that are just driven by assets under management and things where there's a shareholder. Anytime you've got a public company and there's a shareholder, you can never truly serve two masters, can you? You either serve the shareholders or you serve the customers. And let's hope that by serving the customers, the shareholders are served, but that's not always the case. And we've seen that many, many times. Well, that's a really, really interesting insight. And then you've obviously left all of this to have your own business. And your first book, I just love the title of this, The the Breakfast Club for 40-somethings. And it does remind me of watching the original the, The Breakfast Club movie was so kind of rebel and you know it just really resonated for that age group and so I think from what I'm gathering you really do tap into the zeitgeist of your generation and what's important. Yeah thanks you're like oh my god she hasn't even got to the part where she started her own business yet she's still talking about super but um, (laughs) (laughs) I did leave there start evolution (laughs) do that cool party did a whole bunch of stuff in storytelling PR marketing advertising content creation branded content built a business a big video platform for advisors and then sold that to a listed company so I learned the art of making money myself of spending it because I've always been a spender so you and I are like diametrically opposed if you're the joyful frugalista I'm the joyful spender and anyone that knows me will go hell yeah my mother's like oh god like she just thinks I'm so wasteful (laughs) but I'm not wasteful. I spend on things that give me joy and give people joy. So I don't buy myself everything, although when I have things that I want, I will have them. But it's, you know, not all the time, certainly. But I love experiences and holidays and travel and and having people going out. And I've spent a lot of money on those sort of things. And for me, that's been about family and friends and fun. And I want to have fun. So it's been a good investment for me. But I've also put money into super, make no mistake, because I understand how good that industry is. So my husband and I have a very good super balance because even though we've owned our own business for 23 years now, we've put super in. And and he came and worked, he worked in advertising. And when we had our first son, came and worked at Evolution with me. And we hired a nanny on staff back then. And we had amazing staff. We had about 12 staff in Neutral Bay. And We had a room out the back where the kids with the two boys, because Sebastian and Connor are 14 months apart, went. And then Harry's like much later, seven years after, I think, the third one, I was told by Claire Boyne I was having a daughter in New York. And I'm like, woo, get on it, Woody. Two minutes later, I was like having a baby and it was another boy. And I'm like. (laughs) And not in New York. Yeah. I was like, you lied. I always blame my cousin for that because she took me. She was living in New York at the time. She took me to that Claire Boyne. 
it's funny because she ended up having a little girl and I had Harry who I could never give up. Harry is like exceptional. And now next week, I think we're all going to Dua Lipa and my cousin and I and, and those two. So our kids are old enough now. We took our kids to work and we worked together and we put, so we paid the nanny a salary of 70 grand, but that was one of the costs. I could have had that money go home, but I didn't want to, like, because I needed to work and I wanted to work and I love them being in that. So for us, our kids have always been in our work, in our life, in our, it hasn't been about them first mm. and work and that's made all the difference. Mm, I can imagine. I can imagine. Why are you so passionate about financial education? What has brought you to really feel the need to educate to people, particularly women, about money? I can honestly say that because I guess I have sons and a husband and a male cat and I mean, and my father was my greatest love and that's a whole other story, but I, I really advocate for men having financial skills and I think men are really struggling trying to define their role now. So when people say to me, particularly women, it's like, I love the sisterhood. Like, honestly, I the sisterhood needs to be set free and is happening. I do believe it's happening. I know a lot of women at C-suite, it's not happening yet, but there is going to be equality and things are changing. It, it's just a matter of time. But let's not forget the other side of the equation in that, because why I wrote the first book was to show that everyone's life can look shiny on the outside. It was a play on the breakfast club. And back then I would have gone with Judd Nelson, you know, I would have been the guy. <laughs> sure. Like, and now. He I'm was like, pretty oh, hot. The nerd, for Christ's sake, the nerd would have made the money. They See, that's the difference between being 17 and 50 is <laughs> that you realise that guy with the earring probably wasn't going to have a great career. Back then, what you wanted was for everyone to be seen and not be defined by where you came from. And now I think we're at a stage where social media makes it look like people's lives are so good because we're capturing those tiny moments. And I'm the worst because I take a lot of photos, right? I've loved, I'm a storyteller. So I take my family like, oh my God, but my family is so documented for years now. It's been crazy. I can show on Instagram that everything about my life is incredible and you would think I'd never had a bad moment, but that's not true. I've had heaps of bad moments. And what I want people to really think about is are they happy in themselves now and is money affecting that? Because I, I came up with a methodology after talking about money, making shows about money, running TV shows, like you name it, I've done it over 23 years. The one thing I know about money is that people hold themselves their value and money are very closely linked. So it's a very difficult conversation. If you don't feel you have money, you don't feel you have value in some cases. And that's that's the work I want to do. Like I want to show people that's not true. You may not have it now, but don't give up because you can change things. You can change yourself. You can get a growth mindset around your opportunities, you can lose the people around you that aren't believing that you could be more or do more, or you could be a leader in your family and say, you know what, we're going to change. Like I'm changing and I want to take you guys on a journey with me. So this new book that I wrote, The Five Conversations that will radically change your life, and I've used the word radical. I mean, financial service isn't crazy about the Rad. word radical. <laughs> but I do believe that if people have these five conversations, the first being with yourself. What I'm saying now, are you happy? 
do you want more? Do you want different? And you kind of, the older you get, and I guess I really understand Generation X because I am Generation X, but we're at an age now, my kids are 18, 19, 13, you know, older, and they don't need me as much. And I've got work and that's amazing. And I'm still married. And there's a lot about my life that I'm A, grateful for, but B, like, I don't want to do the same things anymore that I used to. Like, I don't want to be in the suburbs. We live in an apartment now on the harbour and it's three bedrooms. I've got huge sons. They like say with people, they pee like racehorses and the bathrooms are tiny in this place. But I want to live on the harbour because it gives me energy and it's not that expensive, you know, compared to a big house with a backyard and garage and everything that we used to have. But that felt like it was just a rock around our neck by the Mm -hmm. end. For me, I want to feel free in this stage of my life. I'm also in an apartment too. I moved from a, a, a almost well, a, a big block, biggish block by Canberra standards in the in the suburbs, to a, a unit where I can walk to see CBD in Canberra. We cycle most places. The kids walk to school, and yeah, it's not a lot of space compared to what we had, but it's a great lifestyle because we're just so close to everything. Yeah, that. How many kids have you got? Two. I've got two boys. Oh, you got boys as well. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, yeah, because everyone goes, oh, boys need space. And when they were little, it was great to have the backyard and stuff. But as you get older, they either want a game or be with their friends. Pretty much. No, they're not like sitting in the lounge room going, let's all watch a movie. We make them watch stuff with us. Like, but <laughs> most of the time they're like, please, God, let me go and talk to my friends. So it, it's okay. Like, And it's okay to say you don't have as much. And I've still got girlfriends who have beautiful big homes on the North Shore and I'm happy. They love their home and that's been their defining investment. That's lovely. But it's just what makes me happy and what I say to people is what makes you happy? It doesn't have to be what everyone else says. It doesn't. What do you want? So we talked then about having discussions with yourself and being clear about what you want, where you really want to live, the life you really want to lead. What about discussions with, say, your parents about what happens when they die? Yeah, you've got to have them. And I think it, otherwise you leave a whole shit show of mess for when it's gone. I mean, my dad died four years ago now, but mum was a lot younger and she's still alive. So obviously they owned their house and mum's still living in it. And we knew we'd all get third, a third, a third, the three of us, when the house goes and they get sold. But, like, some people haven't even had that discussion or they've had it brush broad jokes. But there's a lot of stuff you got to do as when you get older, like, deeds of houses, bank accounts, where things are at. You can't leave a mess for your kids. And I think that if you can see for your parents that there is something there where you're like, do we even know how this works? You need to bring it up. And so that can be difficult. So this this book, again, there's a whole chapter dedicated to how to talk to your kids about money as an older person or an adult and as people with younger kids. Also, how to talk to your parents and your siblings. And I talk through a process with people, whoever wants to have the conversation. And I hope it's the person who's got something to leave, the inheritance, who then says, I'm saying, call a meeting, even if it's everyone on Zoom or everyone there. You'd love people to be in the room, but reality is it's hard to do when there's a lot of family involved. But make sure it's enough in the distance where there is time. And then set an agenda. What do you want to say? What's your legacy? What do you want? to leave behind what do you want people to think about when they think about your contribution because you know what that's super important to define what are we here for if we're not here to leave the place a bit better than we found it and so why why wouldn't you want to define that and talk about that with your family 
and give them the opportunity to realise their family legacy and what other possibilities that could be done. Because a lot of the time, if people are leaving a home, there's several siblings and there's not enough money there unless two buy the other out, one buys this, you know, there's a whole bunch of whoever's got money may not need it. Everyone's family's different. There are not two families. Yeah, and there's often a black sheep amongst those siblings or there's someone or sometimes there's siblings who've died. What do you do about the children from those relationships or what about if there's step-parents or step-kids? There's a whole range of different things there. Yeah, there is. And so if you want to really, you, you owe it to your family, I believe, to get that right and to say how you want it to go and not just trust that someone else will sort it out for you. I'm not saying do the legal and accounting work. I wouldn't have a clue. The best thing I ever did was hire a financial planner, a bookkeeper, a, I've got a financial controller, like, and I pay a great accountant. I've never quibbled on paying financial advice because I know I don't have the skills. I just know that about me. So I need the best people in my world to make sure that I'm compliant and that I'm doing all the things that I need to do. You need to get yourself good advice, if not with your accountant and financial advisor, someone you trust. Yeah, exactly. Now, Vanessa, I have one final question, which is do you have a frugalist tip to share? Do you have a tip about saving money, something you do? It could be quirky, it could be unusual, it could be normal. Mm. Oh, there's so many. I mean, I'm a huge collector of flybys points and loyalty points. So I would say, I mean, literally I've gotten so many. I got my coffee machine of flybys. Wow. So many just by hooking up your groceries and I do my groceries online. And and Coles and Woolies both do it. I use Coles just because I've got my whole list filled there. but. In the front of the online shopping, it often says $20 off and I snap that code and then put it in and 20 bucks off your groceries. If I'm spending $300, $350, that's not a small amount every week. But also I'm racking up those flybys points and then I go in and I'm like got my eye on the, you know, the fancy soda water thing next to the, you know, it does the soda stream. I've, yeah. I've got an old one. I want a new one. Things like that get into them, join the reward scheme, scan your thing, it's worth it. You can get a heap of cool freebies and it's fun. Yeah, loyalty really does make a difference if there's a particular brand you like or a particular shop and you I do. I Maya, their experience isn't as good, but I do spend in Maya sometimes on makeup or perfume, but I think the supermarket one is a no-brainer, honestly. It's money for nothing and linking your credit cards to your frequent flyers is another one that I love because then when I spend money on my card and I pay my card off every month, then I'm also getting my frequent flyers. Well, having just been to the US, which was predominantly funded by frequent flyer points, both in terms of the flight and the accommodation, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Well, thank you so much, Vanessa. So your new book, Five Conversations About Money, is, I assume, available in all good bookstores. I know it's available on Booktopia and other places. Yes, it is. And I hope, I mean, it's it's released overseas as well in the States. It's gone, and Walmart in the US has picked it up. But I think it's just taking a bit of time for print to run out. So some people have said, I've not been able to find your book in a shop yet, Big. I'm like, well, look on my site because all the places that are distributing of Dimmix and everywhere are listed. And I'm guessing that over the next few days or so, books will be released into the bookshops, I hope. But let me show you what it looks like so you know. Because I have my author copy. Cool. I love that background. The orange colour is fabulous. It's all done in text messages and scripts and it's not a boring book. It's actually scripts of, here, you say this. They might say this. You say that. So that's how I've done it and I've 
put two years and my designers and a whole bunch of incredible journalists who I wrote this with who's far better than me. But I wanted to make it. Some of them are podcast scripts with the characters from my old book, from my first book. And that goes with my free podcast called the Vanessa Stoikov podcast, which is the scripted narrative that also has voice characters and that. So I bring those characters to life and what they're doing. And then I talk to a CEO in finance about their money. So everyone can sort of get into that mindset because what I'm trying to do by get people to read these stories is go get in your own mindset, your own growth mindset. What could you do? What could your life be like in 10 years? It could be so much better and get, you know, see yourself changing for the better. And I don't know, my dream when I'm in the nursing home one day, the fancy nursing home with the hot staff that fanning me with the grapes, that some people say, I read your books and now I'm here, you know, like I I heard you talk or I did it and it, you know, it it sparked me. All I want to be is the spark. Yeah, I I want to spark as many people as I can. It gives me joy. Well, it sounds like it's doing that. And as someone who enjoys giving other people joy through their writing, I totally relate to that. Well, thank you so much. Really, it's been a great chat and wish you all the best with the new book. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. And, of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. Every night